Good morning, friends. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors of Christ City Church here in D.C., and it is my privilege and joy to be with you this Easter Sunday. Wherever you're joining us from, whether you're here in the DMV area or farther afield, whether you're gathered with others in one of our backyard watch parties or watching from the comfort of your own living room, welcome. This is our second Easter service of the pandemic. This is our second COVID Easter. And the other day I was re-watching last year's Easter service and thinking how little we knew then of what was to come. How much disruption, how much loss, how much grief, how much death. And it would take so tragically long to recount it all. But over the last 12 months, I have also seen how, by the grace of God, the Spirit of God has perseveringly and resiliently and doggedly been bringing life out of death, been bringing light into the dark and desperate places of our world, relationships and community born and built, resolved for justice and equality and a truer vision of the kingdom of God on earth as in heaven, kindled and fanned into flame, a depth of reliance on God cultivated, even if out of desperation, even with only whispered prayers. So much has happened in the last 12 months. And if you're anything like me, you may not have had the margin, the bandwidth, the emotional energy or the time to process it all in a healthy way. And that's okay. Welcome to church where it's okay to not be okay. Welcome to this in-process, under-construction, pilgrim community of faith. I'm glad you're here. It is not a mistake that you're here. God has something for you. Today on Easter Sunday, I want to talk about news, and specifically about good news, as Evan so beautifully riffed on just a moment ago. And even more specifically, I want to talk about the good news of Jesus Christ. But let me start with a question. Do you remember where you were when you first heard about the virus that has come to dominate all of our lives? COVID-19. Or maybe if not the first time you heard about it, maybe the first time you realized it was going to affect your life. In January 2020, my wife Carolyn and I had been planning to travel with our son Daniel back to Hong Kong, where my parents live, to visit them and celebrate Chinese New Year. I hadn't celebrated Chinese New Year with family in over a decade. I hadn't celebrated it in Hong Kong since I left home as a teenager over 20 years ago, and I hadn't yet been able to introduce my then one-year-old to the city in which I grew up. And so we were excited. We were anticipating the joyful reunion with my parents, who I hadn't seen in a couple of years. We were anticipating the fun we'd have, seeing the sights that meant so much to me in my youth. We were anticipating the dim sum we would devour and my mom's home-cooked meals. But for a variety of reasons not related to the virus, we decided to postpone our trip. And it was actually that week, the week of Chinese New Year, the week we were planning to be there, that the coronavirus descended upon Hong Kong. I remember talking to my mom about it, hearing how it was affecting life in the city, businesses shutting down, schools closing, people afraid to go out because they didn't know how it spread or how to protect against it. It seems so surreal to be hearing about life completely transformed, turned on its head for my parents in my hometown, half the world away, and yet it was a foreshadowing of what would happen here in the U.S. just a couple months later. Life transformed, turned on its head, and and it still feels that way a year later. When did you first hear the news about COVID-19 and when did you realize it was going to affect your life? 
For us here at Christ City Church, it has been 56 weeks since we had our last in-person gathering packed into the cafeteria at Minor Elementary School. 56 weeks since we had our last community lunch with fried chicken and fried fish and dal and mac and cheese and fresh fruit and sour cream biscuits, banana bread and strawberry gooey butter cookies. 56 weeks. Maybe for you it all hit home when your work closed its offices. Or when your kid's school said you've got to keep your kids at home. Maybe it was when your travel plans were shut down. Maybe it was when you lost your job because your company was tightening its belt. Maybe it was the first time someone you knew contracted the virus or lost their life to it. This year has carried so much news. George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, and so so many other black lives lost too soon. The rise in anti-Asian rhetoric and hate crimes, gun violence across the nation and here in our own city, rallies and marches, a president posing with a Bible, Kobe Bryant, Chadwick Boseman, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, an election, an insurrection, an impeachment, and an inauguration, a vaccine, a ship stuck in a canal. So much news, so much joy and sorrow that we have experienced on top of the exhaustion and effort of navigating life in a pandemic. What I have realized is that news isn't just out there, a story of someone far away from us. Sometimes it's right here. Sometimes it affects us very directly. Sometimes we are the ones who are experiencing it, and we are the ones who have to share it. Good news, bad news, and everything in between. News is not just what we watch on TV or catch on Twitter or, if you're old school, read in the papers, the news. News is what's happened and what's happening. And today I want to talk about the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel. Gospel just means good news. Today, we celebrate the news we read earlier from the gospel according to John. The good news written by one of Jesus' closest disciples. The news of the resurrection of Jesus. And we hear about this news as it affects, in particular, a woman by the name of Mary Magdalene. Because news is never just out there. News always affects people. It always impacts people. Those who experience it, those who hear it, those who see it. We first meet Mary Magdalene in John's Gospel at the foot of the cross. We don't know all that much about her. The crucifixion and the resurrection are the only times we read about her in John's account. The only other information we have about her is in Mark and Luke, and all they have to add is that Jesus had cast out seven demons from her, which is a little detail we can skip over far too easily. But that little detail carries a whole history, a whole narrative, a whole journey. Think about the little details that are tagged onto us. Professional statuses, pastor, teacher, analyst, consultant, unemployed. Relational statuses, married, single, divorced, parent. Categorizations by age or race or social standing or sexual orientation or gender identity or place of origin. These titles, these labels, they are true, but there are so many stories behind them, so many experiences, so much history. Mary, from whom Jesus cast out seven demons. I wonder what those oppressive spiritual forces were that he freed her from. 
Were they like Legion in the Gerasene demoniac in Luke 8, possessing her spirit and taking control of her body, driving her out into the wild and giving her supernatural strength? Were they like what's shown in the movies, foaming at the mouth and shaking and awful sounding voices? Or were they more subtle? Maybe like some of the spiritual evils we might face in our lives today. Demons from our own past that still haunt us. Mistakes, hurts, broken promises, broken trust, trauma, or abuse. Demons in our present that lie to us about our capabilities, our looks, our worth, our place, or our identity. Demons from our future that seek to cow us into submission by projecting failure onto our lives. We don't know, we aren't told, all that lies behind that label, Mary from whom Jesus cast out seven demons. But I do know that that second part makes all the difference. Jesus cast them out. Jesus freed her. Jesus saved her. That was what happened to her. That was her good news. Imagine then what she must have been thinking, what she must have been feeling as she walks slowly, deliberately to the tomb of her friend and her rescuer and her teacher, processing the awful news, the awful experience of the weekend past, all that she has seen and heard and felt, the pain and sorrow and fear and uncertainty and death, the grief of it all. And when she arrives, more more bad news, the stone has been rolled away. Her first thought is not, He's been raised from the dead. That wouldn't be my first reaction, and it probably wouldn't be yours either. You know, if somebody you love died and their body vanished from the funeral parlor, you wouldn't immediately think, yeah, raised from the dead. You'd probably think, as Mary did, someone's taken the body. Trauma upon trauma. Confusion upon confusion. Not only is Jesus, beloved teacher and friend, dead, killed in the cruelest of fashions, now they have taken our Lord out of the tomb, and I do not know where they have laid him, as she recounts to two of the disciples. Peter and the beloved disciple, usually understood to be John, the author of this gospel, they race to the tomb to see for themselves, to to fact-check, to see if the news is legit, and then finding only the linens that were used to wrap the body of the master, John, it says, saw and believed. He saw the empty tomb. He saw the grave clothes, and he believed that Jesus had been resurrected. And then he and Peter head home. And still nobody's actually seen Jesus. We still have no confirmed reports that he's alive. Mary, the text says, stood outside near the tomb crying. She's still crying. She's crying because her friend is dead, and she still doesn't know what's happened to his body. She cries. That human drama that is replayed every day all over the world, and and, and that has felt like an all-too-common occurrence this past year. Crying. We relive the traumatic details of the murder of a black man. We see more videos of elderly Asian folks being attacked. We watch footage of thousands of migrant children packed into detention facilities or more lives lost to gun violence on our own streets. There are tears. We feel far from God. We haven't heard God's voice speaking. We haven't sensed God's presence leading. There are tears. Reality does not live up to our expectations or our hopes or our dreams. Our kids choose to walk away from God. Our siblings or our friends or our significant others make decisions that are self-destructive or just not good for them. There are tears. 
get rejected by the person we wanted to spend the rest of our lives with. Or we're not in the place where we would like to be in life. We've made choices that hurt people. And we've been hurt by people, by the church. We've lost loved ones, friends and family. There are tears. No grief is too small. No sorrow is too insignificant. And yet as Mary is weeping, she bends down, she looks into the tomb. There are two angels sitting there where, where Jesus was laying and they, they say, why are you crying? And she, so caught up in the depth of her emotion, her sorrow, she doesn't think, why are there two random guys sitting in the tomb? She just answers them. They've taken my Lord and I don't know where they've put him. I, I love this little encounter because it's so true to life. That we can get so caught up in things, real things, genuine things, things that we are completely justified in getting caught up in, that we fail to notice certain other things. And so in verse 14, as soon as she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but, but she didn't know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she replied, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Mary sees Jesus through her tears. He's right there. And yet she doesn't see him. She's living in the pre-resurrection world. She's still living in the pre-resurrection world where if the body is gone, the gardener has taken it. Where when a person dies, they're gone. Where sorrow lasts for the night and then into the next day, and the day after that. But Jesus, being who he is, meets her where she is. He doesn't enter stage right with a blast of thunder or a flash of blinding light. He doesn't announce in a loud voice, Hey, Mary, it's me. He cares for her. He asks her why she's crying. And in a beautiful parallel with one of the first things Jesus says in John's Gospel, he asks, Who are you looking for? That's a question that's posed to us as readers and watchers throughout the story of Jesus. Who are you looking for? What kind of Messiah are you expecting? What kind of God do you think is out there? Mary mistakes him for the gardener and asks him where the body is. And Jesus said to her, Mary. Mary, he says. She hears her name. She hears his voice. She really hears his voice. Mary. How many times has Jesus, the love of God incarnate, been there in our lives, but we haven't recognized him? We were caught up in the fullness of our pain or our emotions of our situation. Maybe we still are. Maybe we didn't think Jesus could possibly show up in the midst of our situation or, or, or in that place or that person's life or this pandemic or this doubt or this tragedy or my life. We just don't see him. There can't be any good news. But Jesus calls each of us by name too. If not, a sparrow falls to the ground without God knowing it. If each of the hairs on our head is numbered by God, we can be assured that God knows our names. It might take a little while for us to really hear his voice through our own mess or our own tears or our own thoughts. But when Jesus says your name, something changes. 
In verse 17, Jesus said to Mary, don't, don't hold on to me, for I haven't yet gone up to my father. Go to my brothers and sisters and tell them I'm going up to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene left and, and, and announced to the disciples, I've seen the Lord, and then she told them what he had said to her. Up until now, Jesus has referred to his disciples as servants or friends. Here for the first time, he calls them brothers and sisters. Up until now, Jesus has referred to God as my father or the father or the one who sent me. Here for the first time, he calls God your father, your God. Something has changed. Something is different. Now God is our father. Now Jesus is our brother. And Mary Magdalene is called to be the first apostle, to be the apostle to the apostles. Apostle comes from the Greek. It means the sent one. Jesus was sent by the Father, and Jesus sends Mary to the disciples, those whom he will also send out into the world. Tell them I'm going back, he says. Tell them I was who I said I was. Tell them God is like what I said God was like. Tell them my Father is our Father, and my God is our God. Tell them. And she goes to the disciples and she says, I have seen the Lord. He was dead and now he is alive. Here's the good news. And even in this, God shows something of God's self. You see, in the patriarchal culture of ancient times, the testimony of a woman in the Jewish court of the day was not considered reliable for legal purposes. If you were making up a story that someone had seen Jesus alive three days after his death, you would not have given that starring role to a woman. You would make it someone like Caiaphas, the high priest, or Herod Antipas, the guy, the king, I'm sorry, Herod Antipas, the king, it would have been a guy. It would have had to have been a guy in the culture of the day in order for such a claim to be taken seriously. But here again, God shows something of God's self in having a so-called unreliable woman, a woman with a history, with a past, be the first one on the scene and the first one to see Jesus and the first one to be the bearer of good news. God is always showing us a better way. Always. Now, having begun this morning by asking, when did you first hear the news about COVID-19 and when did you realize it was going to affect your life? Let me now ask, when did you first hear the good news about the vaccine? When did you begin to have hope that the death and grief might be halted? That the weight and the anxiety and the stress might be alleviated? That the tragedy might be relieved at least a little? When did you begin to have hope that we might one day be gathered again together with laughter and tears of joy and many, many warm embraces? When did you begin to think we might be able to see each other again and catch up on all that has happened? When did you begin to hope that we might once again be gathered around tables over food and fellowship or, or, or when you could visit your family and loved ones and have friends over for meals or meet with your small group in person again? News is never just out there. News always affects people. News always impacts people. News always means something for someone. Two thousand years ago, a poor, brown-skinned Palestinian Jew, part of an oppressed minority in a remote corner of the Roman Empire. A man called Jesus, who some people thought might be the Messiah, was crucified on a cross. And on that day, though most didn't know it, he took the sin of the world on himself and into himself. 
And three days later, when God raised him from the dead, he defeated sin and death and hell. And he exposed violence and scapegoating and shame for the death dealers that they are. That's what the good news means. It means that God's love wins. It means that God's love is not only as strong as the grave, as the poet of Song of Songs wrote, but love is stronger than the grave. In his life, death, and resurrection, God in Jesus showed us who God really is, what God is really like. God in Jesus showed us that we are loved by him, that we are valuable to him, that rescue is at hand, that it doesn't have to be this way, that new life and a new way of life are possible. In the words of Father Richard Rohr, Jesus did not come to change the mind of God about humanity. Jesus came to change the mind of humanity about God. And in his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus opened up the way to life in God's kingdom, to joy and justice and hope and peace, to resting in God's love and to remaking the world through God's love. That's what the good news means. Easter Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. It's the first dawn of God's new week. The dark is fleeing. The sun is coming out. Easter Sunday tells us that ultimately death and sin have been defeated and Jesus has the final word. Love has the final say. And though we are not fully there, though we still know sorrow, Easter Sunday is the good news that changes everything. For us as individuals, for us as families, for us as a church community, for us as a world, Jesus did die, but he is alive now. And through our tears and in our sadness, he meets us. And he speaks our names. And he asks us to go out as his representatives. He sends us to bring life where there is death. And love where there is hatred. And light where there is darkness. He sends us to tell others about him. The one who saves us all. In a sense, we are all apostles. We are all sent, just as Mary was, to say, I've got good news. Christ is risen. Love overcame death. Love still overcomes death. And the day that you choose to follow this Jesus is a day that you no longer exist for yourself. It's the day that this church no longer exists just for you. It's the day that you become part of the staff here as a minister of the gospel. You're called to live that out in the unique ways God has called you. In your family, in your school, in your workplace, in your neighborhood. We as a church are invited to share and bring and be the good news, to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ here in Washington, D.C. and wherever you might be to point people to this same Christ so that all would come to know the life available in and through Jesus. And it doesn't take a particular level of education. You don't have to be a certain color or a certain age. You don't have to be articulate. You don't have to be savvy on social media. You just need to have met Jesus. You just need to have heard his name, heard his voice when he called your name. Now maybe you're here this morning and you are where Mary was. You're hurting, broken, in tears. That would be so understandable, given all of the bad news of this last year. I hope in, in some small way you've heard Jesus calling your name today, inviting you to open your eyes to what's around you, inviting you to experience God's love revealed in Jesus alive on the other side of death. Maybe you'll see something new. Maybe you knew Jesus at one point in your life, but you don't really know him today. You haven't known him in a while. 
He's calling your name too. He's inviting you to know that you don't have to put up a front with the one who loves you as you are. Maybe you just needed a reminder of the truth that makes all the difference. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Love overcame death. That changes everything. You might be here this morning and, and maybe you're just watching because it's Easter and Easter and, and, and church is what you're supposed to do on Easter, even in a pandemic. Don't let that stop you from hearing and responding. If you want to know more about this good news, the good news of the death-defying love of the resurrected Jesus, if you want to experience it for the first time or for the first time in a long time, any of us on staff or among the elders would love to talk with you. You can look up our email addresses on the church website, ChristCityDC.org, or fill out an online connection card. We would love to talk with you and walk with you. Today is Easter Sunday. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. There is a love that overcomes the grave, that beats back death itself, and we are held in that love. And that, my friends, is good news for all of us. May you know it. May you experience it. May you see the impact of it in your life and through your life. May it grant you resolve and resilience in the midst of all that surrounds us and threatens to bring us down. A light shining in the darkness. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. <laughs>